Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. In verse 21, the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. You touched, you touched God's anointed. That's why in Psalm 105 one, one, uh, verse 15, touch not God's anointing. You're going to have to make a decision how much you're going to be involved in criticism of anointed leadership. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent, fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Adam on the show. Adam, can you just introduce yourself to the audience and let them know how you got introduced to the IFB movement? I was born into it. I was born into the IFB movement. My my parents, my dad got saved in a Southern Baptist church in Virginia, huge Southern Baptist church, because he was a military brat in the Navy. And my mom, she was a bus kid. She got saved at a church in Wisconsin, Wildwood Baptist Church in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and they picked her up on the bus and everything. And that's where this whole thing started. I was, it was one of those things I was, that's all I've known was the IFB, Independent Baptist, whatever movement. And basically what happened was, is that I went to Christian school at the, I started at the academy at the Maranatha Christian Academy in Glendale, Arizona at the time. They've closed since 2001. And they closed officially at 2002 because they just ran out of money. And thing was, is that I had to leave that school because they ran out of funding. They thought I needed special attention. So they put me in the public school after I left the the public, I went to the public school. The, the kids in the Sunday school in junior church, I guess they caught on to that and they started treating me lousy for years. Mm. And, and at the time, the teachers 
always put me to blame. They didn't listen to what I had to say. And you find that a lot in the independent Baptist circles. Yeah. Yeah. There's a big stigma against public school and anybody that goes, there's, there's definitely a huge kind of segregation there between the Christian school kids versus public school kids. Was that the first time you ever had an, I guess, negative experience within the movement was when that change happened? Yes. And I remember one time we had a watermelon Western day. This is Arizona. It's really hot out, hundreds of degrees. I don't know if Mark Roy over at, if you remember him from Banning, from Mountain View Baptist. His older brother, Dave Roy, was my youth pastor. And obviously, Mark Roy married Lydia Scott. Wow, you're like bringing a bunch of names back. Yeah, this is, yeah, Mountain Avenue. Yeah, Mark Roy was there when I was like probably second grade, third grade. And yeah, he did all our vacation Bible schools and all that. Yeah, and I know Lydia very well. And the Sidlowskis, Sidlowski girls, yeah. of course. I went to school with, with the Sidlowski girls, and I went to school with Lydia Scott for one semester. Got it. And obviously, now I went to West Coast. Of course, at the Roy's, West Coast was the premier school in their minds. There was no other school except that. Anyway, what happened, this was way before Dave Roy came on the scene as youth pastor, but years ago, we had a huge bus ministry. We had a lot of kids. We had this watermelon Western day on a really hot day. Watermelon just wasn't really hydrating me. I need water. (laughs) So I go to this public fountain at the park because I, it's hot outside. I'm going to scorch to death. So what happens? Uh, next thing, a bus driver comes behind me after I'm getting a drink to relieve myself, and he spanks me. Hmm. And I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? I just went to go get a drink of water to alleviate my possibility of getting dehydrated and falling unconscious. And there were a lot of those situations. This was back in the nineties when any parent could walk, but walk up to you for whatever reason and spank you. I think that might be shocking for people outside the movement too, because I was explaining that to someone, but I was actually explaining to my wife and I was saying, yeah, one of the things when you would go to someone's house is the parents would be like, do I have permission to spank them? And it's funny hearing that in 2020, I'm not an older guy, but it's interesting. That's such a that's such an ingrained part of my childhood memory, even though that's been out of, I guess, public approval for a long time. But yeah, it's crazy how much access people had to whoever they want to have access to. Um, and another thing was like the yes for a yes ma'am thing. I think, I believe it's respect. Yeah. But I've always believed that respect is a two-way street. And yeah. back then you had a lot of hungry, power-hungry adults. Right. They they didn't live out the part. Mm. They didn't play the part. And so we dealt with a lot. I dealt with a lot of adult Sunday school teachers that they were one way on Sunday and then another way during the week. Right. Yeah. And then if there were kids that were uh, bullying me and stuff, I would go tell their parents. But their parents would be like, why are you tattling? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just thought, you're not going to do anything, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very much a, there's a hierarchy. There's a very distinct way that different situations are treated. And it was very much 
depending on who the kid was that was doing something versus who you were, where you sat in the system, whether or not something would actually be done. But yeah, it's, man, I'm just, I'm spun out because of all the names you just said, because those are names that I haven't heard in a little while. But, but yeah, so growing up there and developing as you got older, how did your experience change or was this consistent all the way through till graduation? This was consistent till my senior year. The pastor's kid, the new pastor, when he came in, we had a pastor for a while. His name was David Bushy. He was a really good teacher, preacher. You, you learned a lot from him. He gave you notes every time. That was a good experience. I, he and, I knew him and his wife. They knew me. We had a good, we had a lot of friendly people in, in our church at the time, Maranatha Baptist in Glendale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And now obviously they're not there anymore. They're in Peoria, Arizona in a new building and they're growing. They're doing terrific. Yeah. They, they have a guy who's a new pastor who's associated with the heart, the heartland movement. Cause of, okay. we had Ed Pearson uh, as his pastor and Ed Pearson is now over at heartland now teaching. Okay. And uh, anyway, yeah. at yeah. the time, Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Go I was just going to say Heartland is a, is an interesting place. And I, I've met, I actually helped with the church plant as far as promoting it. I helped in Scottsdale, Arizona with North, North Point Baptist Church with John Vaught. Oh, and, he's good. Yeah. And all of his people that were down there, like the Bill Prater, Tyler Prater, they all came to help with the launch. And to this day, they're the only people I've ever met from Heartland. And I was like, Oh, these are like, at least to me in the time that I spent with them, two really incredibly nice people that are, don't have that kind of, they were the first people I'd met from like, where they were like proud of their Bible college, where I didn't feel the sheen of inauthentic kind of like facade. It felt like they were just very approachable, very kind. And Heartland's like that one where I've, I've never heard something horrible or awful come out of there. That's just an aside, but, but anyway, but yeah, that's my connection with Arizona and Heartland was, was helping with that plant in Scottsdale. But. Yeah. And I've always had a lot of respect for that school. Um, yeah. Even though at the time they, it, when it was a fairly new school, I was a little scared of their handbook because they sent me the handbook when right. they sent me the application and any new student, any new prospective student before he becomes a student, the last thing he wants to see is a handbook right away. Yeah. And this was way before they got the staff that they have now. I'm sure they're way developed. They wouldn't do that anymore. But anyway, in my high school years, the pastor's kid would, of course, when I was four, I was diagnosed with a, a developmental disability. I'm not sure if that was, if it was really the case, hmm. because in the 80s, they didn't know how to de- diagnose people with developmental disabilities. Apparently, the pastor's kid at the time, his name was Travis, he would often, every time I'd say a word, he'd go, like I was was stupid. And apparently, I wasn't like him. I wasn't on the same par as him. So because to him, I was three fives short of a happy meal, he thought, just make this uh, layman's kid's life miserable or something. Right. Yeah. And pastor, you know how pastors kids are for a period of time. They act like they're superior to you because they're the pastor's kid. They get whatever they want, the royal treatment. Yeah. 
which is true. <laughs> a lot of them act like royalty because in a lot of churches, they are. They are that untouchable kind of brand. And even kids who weren't pastors, but if they were, their family was like a very celebrated member at the church, or if they if they had some kind of whatever acclaim or accolade. When I, when I was a kid, now that we're thinking about Mountain Avenue, because that's all flooding back, but we had a family in the church that was, their dad was a super respected. He was like in the Air Force and he was, they were like very, very down the center. Literally their hair was parted down the center. They were very conservative, fit down the mold perfectly. And there were stuff that his kids did to me that were like crazy. And then you go tell somebody, it was like, oh, this is gone now. Nobody's going to address this. It's just, I said it and now there's nothing. And yeah, it's very much like this weird kind of caste system of who's the haves and the have-nots within the organization. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. So transitioning to college, so going to West Coast and being a part there, uh, did that feel like a a time of freedom coming out of the environment where it's negative, or did it feel like you went into a more restrictive environment? Like, how was that experience? Oh, no. I went to, (laughs) I felt like I went into a worse environment. Okay. I, I was at actually right across the hall from Jesse Rule. Okay. Another name. That kid from my made past. my life miserable. Huh. He was a master student at the time. Hmm. I, one time, I remember him sticking his hand down his pants and shaking my hand. Hmm. Now, I wasn't quick to realize that he did that. But, and then he. One time, and, and then later on, he won't give me a ride. And then he tells another guy to talk to me about respect because I, I just had no respect for him. Yeah. But because he felt he was superior to everybody because he's Tim Rule's son, you know, that everybody should just bow down to him or something. Right. And apparently, he would, the way he was talking to me, It was like, it was very demeaning. One time he tells me, I just need to go yell at an employer and say, give me a job. Mm. Had me going into my room and just yelling, give me a job. Just so he could laugh at me and be like, ah, he said, give me a job. Yelled, ah, I got him. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's the same stage I met Jesse and, and I've shared, I've shared obviously that full story. When I met him, at at basketball. So I met him at basically at basketball camp and or actually no, I met him at the camp that they did every year. And then we ended up in my like 10th or 11th grade year. It was right. It was 10th grade because it was right before all the news came out about Jesse. Just Google the name. And I just remember being at basketball camp and he fit in as one of the teenage boys. And he was very much this yeah. like juvenile, like what you said, I can picture that personality. And I remember when we were there and I I didn't, it literally wasn't till this year. I thought about how weird this was, but I would, but when we were there, I was probably in 10th grade or end of ninth grade. And I remember his big thing was like, he would slap like each of us, like as hard as he could to leave like a, like a raised handprint basically. And there was one day we we were at the, we were at the camp at the time. I thought it was funny because I was a dumb high school kid aside from it hurting. He, we were in the middle of practice 
And then he like lifted up my shirt and like slapped like as hard as he could. And it left raised fingerprints on my side um, or on my stomach, the side stomach part of my body. And, and it was there like all day and it would like barely had gone away like the next day. And I just remember thinking about that recently. I was like, this 30 year old guy was acting like my eighth grade and seventh grade friends where we would be in the back of the van, like wailing on each other. And I never, I just never thought anything of it because no one else addressed it. Nobody else said, Hey, you're a 30 year old man. Like you should probably act like a 30 year old adult leader, but he was very much this juvenile, this juvenile, very petty kind of personality. And and when I reconcile that with obviously the story of Jesse that we know now, which I've gone into on the show multiple times, those two things are very cohesive. It makes sense to me how that character ties into all of this because he was living with the mind of a, he viewed himself as one of the boys, one of the teenager goof around, nothing's a big deal kind of personality. But anyway, his sisters can, were way better than he was. Right. Yeah. No, um, I've, I know all of the rules actually pretty well. Not, I'm not best friends, but like I, I knew all of them pretty well throughout high school. And I was filming at every camp that they did and I was creating promo videos and, and yeah, his Gabriel was a, from my experience was very nice. Natalie was very kind and like really lovely people. But then, yeah, he just, he was the one that was always, when he first came to our church, he was a total even though he left for the reasons he did, which is like for molesting a teenage girl, like when he came in, his first comments to me were about like, Oh, you have your video camera and you're doing all this stuff. I'm going to take over the media ministry. Like your stuff looks like crap. And it was like this very weird, like he had to be in control of everything. Like, and he was very aggressive if you had any share of that control. He, yeah, he's the type of guy that'll take over everything you get nothing. He gets everything. And it's, you know what, Jesse, take it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, I'm, there's better things to fight about than, than this experience. But yeah, it's, yeah. So anyway, that's an interesting experience. And it's weird that we have so much crossover because it's most of the people I've talked to are from the First Baptist of Hammond or they're somewhere. So it's interesting hearing all these names talked about in a firsthand account. But yeah, it, it was a very, all I have to say, I can relate to that. And I can't imagine him. I met him post-college. I can't imagine him ramped up in college with all of the normal college cockiness and attitude that comes with it. But Yeah, it's interesting. I had, I had a room leader from, Can- from the Canada area, Joel Jessup. His, father's, his father was head of Baptist Church Planning Ministry in Minnesota mm-hmm. and Canada. And his father is Dr. Earl Jessup, big church planner. He's not alive anymore, but uh, somebody else took over that ministry to go start Baptist churches around the nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, Joel was, it, if he was focused in his element, he was a good guy. But then there were other times he was very juvenile. He would walk around the room naked. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. The last thing we, I want to see is a bunch of naked guys walking around. Let's act like men. We're in a Bible college for crying out loud. We're not in some free for all party yeah, in a club or something. And right. I remember one kid from Washington, a lot of times he would, if I was snoring or whatever, he'd be like, 
quit snoring, he'd kick me in the back, or he'd snap me with a belt. This thing, it's that thing where you take the tip of the belt and you just snap somebody with it. Literally, I felt like I was in a prison in that right. room in my freshman year. It was yeah. freshman year, for crying out loud. And I felt like there was no way out. And the dorm supervisor on my floor always spoke in favor of the room leader. Hmm. Uh, Julia Gilbert, for instance, you remember interviewing her. Yeah. That was her husband, Jill. He was hmm. my dorm supervisor on the second floor. Basically, he and Joel Jessup were real close. Yeah. And so Joel would let all the guys in the room do whatever they want. There was no there was no disciplinary aspect about him. He was a roommate's room leader. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's just it's interesting. And I've stayed in the dorms for different events and things, but yeah, it's definitely very much a summer camp kind of vibe. I feel like there's definitely the leaders who are extremely strict. And actually, I'm actually really good friends with someone that I met in that circumstance. But but yeah, it's it's you'll have a mix of where it's either very strict or it's very open and crazy and just insane. And the I just have to address this because I always think it's interesting, but the the obsession with like guys just being naked in the dorms is a very odd thing to me, especially considered it's usually the very alpha kind of guys, but it's just very funny to me that there's such a fascination with being naked with each other. Like that's just a very weird psychological thing to think about. But anyway, yeah. Sophomore year. I, I had somewhat of a good room. I had Scott Carnegie, in my room that yeah, year. No Scott, yeah. yeah, he was an interesting guy. He's doing good now, as far as I know. And but the thing was, is I had the room across from me, they would play all these uh tricks on me. One I remember one room, I was asleep in the front hall on the couch. I was tired a lot. I have this I have this at the time I had I was taking Tegretol medication for my seizures, and during the day it made me sleepy. College wore me out. Yeah. And uh, with that in mind, drowsiness is a side effect I cannot help. And yeah. you don't get a lot of sleep in college. Hmm. Obviously, now I'm not on that type of medication anymore where right. I'm on a dangerous level and just falling asleep on demand anywhere. But apparently, I was tired. I slept. Well, the guys take my cell phone out of my pocket, put it under the couch, and keep calling my phone. And next thing I take the, I tear the couch, like, where's my phone? I was like, shoot. <laughs> they thought I cussed, but then they're videotaping me and they're saying, we talked to this guy who you want to intern for. And they're like, you have an anger problem. And I'm thinking, no, you have a problem messing with people's stuff. And uh, that was my sophomore year. A lot of people playing tricks. One guy took a BB, a BB gun and shot BBs at me. That was interesting. Yeah. What was the, this might be an obvious question, but the dorm leaders obviously didn't do anything, but what was the vibe you got from the staff? Did you ever broach any of these topics with them or did you ever? I approached Toby Weaver. Now, Toby Weaver has, has he was the dean of men at the time at West yeah. Coast. I think and he, he would still is, actually. Actually, no. Let me see. Who took over? He actually stepped down and gave the Dean of Men to, to somebody else. Oh, uh, Shetler. 
Oh, I didn't know that was his official position. I knew Shetler was there, but because Toby Weaver is mainly just touring now, but I didn't know if he was, I thought he was still technically the Dean of Men. That's interesting. No, he teaches Bible. He's touring and he's just teaches the Bible classes and the whatever classes he teaches. But I think with his health, it's with it deteriorating. He wants more time. He wants to, he wants less pressure on his life. It seems right. like because he had cancer of the lymph nodes years and years ago. And uh, Shetler, he's more fit. It seems like he's fit for the position because he yeah. was the student pastor at Pensacola. So he's mm-hmm. pretty much doing the same thing that he did at Pensacola. No, and Sh- personality-wise, he couldn't be more night and day than Weaver and Shetler. The two are very different people, very different personalities from everything I've seen. And Shetler seems like a a pretty nice guy compared to what I know of Weaver and what I've seen and heard from when he's come through and spoke. Yeah. So when you went to him and talked about what was his response to it? One time there were these kid. there was this one kid in my dorm that threw stones at me when I was out working. Mm-hmm. I was out cleaning buses. That was my job. I had a hard time getting a job because in Lancaster, you don't always get because it's military. And, and, you know, you, if uh, the military goes, then the jobs go. That's just how it is in that area. And so there were a lot of jobs that I lost in my freshman year. And so I, be- I had to beg Dr. Rasmussen for a work on campus job. Uh-huh. So he just work on the campus. He gave me a job cleaning buses. That got tedious at times, and eventually in my junior year, I got tired of that. But all that put aside, it was good to get me through school. And I, a lot of times I did need help from family and friends to get help get me through school because right. tuition at the time was expensive. Yeah. California was expensive. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not cheap, and it's – yeah, California is not a cheap place to be anyway, but – But yeah, so progressing through the college experience, like even outside the dorms, what would you say your experience was like in the classroom, like the practical, like college side of things? With my medication and everything taking factor into this, I remember one guy I had a hard time staying awake for was Brother Hauk. He was that really low bass voice guy. He talked like this the whole entire time. And one time in my Senior year, he's like, Adam, you're about ready to catch flies. Go stand in the back. Hmm. I'm like, oh, man. A lot of times they would say, if you're feeling like you're going to fall asleep, go stand in the back. I don't want to look stupid and stand in the back. I don't want to disrupt class. And there were other times I had to take night classes. Those night classes were stressful on me. Yeah. Two-hour classes. You're cramming everything into two hours on a Monday night or whatever. Right. And when you're trying to squeeze this in, you know, it takes a toll on you the night after all day of classes, literally. And a lot of, there were other times I was late, which that was my fault. I was late and I lost out on some uh, percentage in my grades because I was late or I would get demerits. Brother Weaver, he was just in that. But there were other times like, I just had a tro- I had trouble managing sleep schedule. But anyway, this, this kid who's throwing stones at me, basically I told Brother Weaver, 
And Brother Weaver finally says, don't mess with that. I'm going to get on to you guys or something like that. Right. I had trouble finding dating and saying, finding a, a suitable date. Right. I didn't find somebody suitable to date until my senior year. Right. And we got all this pressure of Pastor Chapel saying, you get better get with, guys better get with it or um, there's no way I'm going to recommend you to do anything and go work at Walmart. And it's, I came here to get educated under you, buddy. What was your kind of experience like? Obviously, we kind of talked through the college experience, but did you end up going through the entire, you went through, you met someone in senior year. Did you end up actually graduating and walking? And I ended up graduate. I ended up graduating. I'll say this. I barely graduated. What okay. happened was my, when I get my diploma, it says academically withheld contemporary theology. I call the guy who was my contemporary theology guy, Dr. James Rushing. He's from the South. He's from Alabama. Very gentle man. I love that. I love that man. He's obviously not um, around anymore. He's, he died a year later. But I was like, wow. He was a very organized guy. He was my Christian marriage and the home guy. He was my contemporary theology guy. There was one time he yelled at me in class. He's he didn't say my name, but he's like, you sir, 10 points off your grade for talking when I'm talking. And I, I, didn't, real, I didn't realize I was doing it. So the rest of the time, I'm like, I'm going to sit in the front row. <laughs> and uh, basically, he checked the, the grade book. The office made an error, and, they said, and he said, you got a C minus in the course. Hmm. So the office really messed it up. So I ended up not getting my diploma at graduation because the office messed it up. Yeah. And next thing I went to the, the secretary for Dr. Lester. Now it's Dr. Lester. It was Brother Lester then. Um, secretary for Brother Lester, Jenny Dewey. Mm-hmm. And uh, she called Dr. Rushing and she found out what had happened. And she gave me my diploma. I was going to come back my next year for my master's. Ended up, I wouldn't be able to come back because I would have to have all the money saved up. That's what we had decided. I would have to have 9000 with in hand with me when I came to West Coast the next year. So I had to think of another alternate plan, which was to go in, look at ministry positions, look at church positions, because I had graduated with a bachelor's in church ministries. So I seen I kept calling the guys and a lot of them said the same thing. We don't want somebody who's married or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then I found this guy, this crazy guy out in Boston, a guy named Rick Yearwood. Now mm-hmm. he opened my heart to starting a church in Boston, which I still believe the Lord wants me to start a church in Boston. I just got to get stuff squared away so I can do that. But anyway, Rick Yearwood had a Carolina Bible College mentality. I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm-mm. They're one of those hole-in-the-wall Bible colleges out in the boonies of North Carolina. And Carolina style is, I don't know if you've heard of C.T. Townsend. Yeah, okay, yeah. So a lot like that. Got it. Like the very hyped-up revival style kind of... Tent revival. Yeah. And basically what happened was it was very clashy between me and him. He was all just, I want to pastor a small church. Right. 
And uh, basically, there was he wasn't properly discipling. In my mind, I thought, he's letting these people just be insecure and homeless. And there were right. a lot of people in that church. So I finally left after he and I split. And I went to another church. And this was... In New England, you're going to have a lot of small churches. The largest church is probably going to be like 250 people. Yeah. Not like California where a large church could be, I don't know, like uh, 10,000, 20,000. But 250 is a mega church. Yeah. And so then I went to another guy, Robbie Day. He was more of your house church guy. And I tried to go, give him – I went to him – I worked with them three times, and uh, they they were a good family and all, but I felt like he was overworking me, and like the, like a typical Baptist church, he was trying to have the same rules as a typical Hiles type church, you know, cutting into me and stuff like that. It reminded me of the internship I had before. My senior year, a man in Florence, Arizona, that pastor ended up having me for an internship for seven weeks. Of course, I got the credits, but the money he said he put on my bill to my dad, he said he put $1,000 on my bill to my dad, and he only put a quarter of that. So basically, he basically lied to me and my dad. Yeah. And Dr. R, that was one incident, Dr. R called him and said, if you knew you couldn't have paid him, you should have sent him home after three weeks. And that's partially why in my senior year, I struggled a lot financially. I remember having to come and sign a waiver just to take classes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but anyway, back to my story in, in Massachusetts. Eventually, that family was so discouraging, I eventually just stayed in Wisconsin for a while. And I worked for a good guy there. Uh, Grace Baptist Church was a really good church. You know, what wonderful uh, church. He, he had some ties with West Coast, but they were their own church. They had their own Bible Institute. Yeah. They had an RU, was in the development stages. And at the time, I, I did go down to Illinois to study the RU program because I really like the RU program Yeah, because it has helped. They've helped a lot, get a lot of people off addictions. Yeah. And because he wanted to start it back up. So he used me a lot in media and and, uh, website and stuff like that. So for two years, I had a good run there. Then I went to back to Boston, helped New England Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Now, apparently, they were not kind to, to my wife. We were dating at the time. They thought that we should have been this in this bubble that they had set, that she should have just come for one week. And I'm not going to pay for a ticket for my wife to just come for one week because ticket costs are through the air. That's all my head. It's, it's ridiculous how much flight costs are. And if you think about it, I was like, She's coming for a month. And they were they got mad at me for that. Surprisingly, they never called me from the, on the carpet from the pulpit. Yeah. But that would have been that kind of a church. They were like in between Bob Jones and Hiles. Anyway, they there was a lot of I kept having trouble getting, you know, getting to to church on time, but 
the people were fair were fairly nice. It's just it was very well established to where there were a lot of people that if they were established in a ministry, the newcomers they had to be in one ministry and that was that. Yeah. Like you were put in a corner. Right. And eventually after that I just couldn't I couldn't take it the way they treated my wife, the way they treated the way they, they treated uh, me. Yeah. And I, I left. I checked out a bunch of other churches. And uh, basically, after that, during the transition, I, I tried to go back to the church that I was first at when I first came to Boston. That yeah. church did not welcome me with open arms at all. Hmm. It almost got physical the third time I, I came in one night. The guy that wanted me gone almost grabbed me. I thought he was going to throw me. So I, we almost got into a physical altercation. And the new pastor, the third guy, let's go outside. He's, and eventually, months later, two months later, the guy said, please don't come back. You, this is not a good place to bring your family because you got hmm. people that are going to want to fight you. Yeah. What was motivating that? I guess I wanted to see, in a way, part of me wanted to see a change. There was a new guy. There probably could be a change. But that church, a year later, closed. The third pastor finally said, if this hasn't worked with the first two guys and then me, which the thing was is that there was a guy in that church who was asking women for a a sexual affair. Would let him pay all their bills. A lot of women have left that. They a lot of women left that church because of him. Who was the tre- the treasurer, accountant, whatever? Because he could clean up the building, they let him do whatever he wanted. It's wild. So what, after this, obviously, you're told it's not smart to come back. Like, what was the next step for you? Um, is that to where you're currently at now, or was there another one in between? We joined a, a church called uh, Lighthouse Baptist in another town um, in South Shore, Boston. And that was a good church. It's just we couldn't afford to stay in Boston, Mass. We right. had a lady who was going to help us find housing. We ended up giving a lot of our money to that lady illegally to help us find housing in the Boston Housing Authority. Hmm. This lady turned out to be a snake. We were thrown out on our bums. And she made death threats to us. And we knew that two days later, we had to get out of town. And we had to call the police to get the rest of our stuff. This lady was from the the third church I was at in Massachusetts. And she, the pastor had recommended her to me to help me find housing. Yeah, That pastor was known not to make good decisions at all. He, as far as I'm concerned, he lost his mind. And obviously he's not the pastor there anymore. His son-in-law is. Anyway, he, she, we had to call the police to get our stuff from her apartment because she took all our money and then she still wanted rent from us. It's like he took all the money we had to give you for rent. But he yeah. wants to be in our, in our dirty room that you gave us and starve. We had to get. We just gave you money for your for your medication for your whatever you told us to give money for, with the threat of being kicked out. Yeah. What are we supposed to do? She threatened my wife with a pot, 
of our cooking set. Hmm. This lady was totally mentally, mentally deluded. And uh, it was like she, there was no way to make her see that she was always right. Yeah. And this was in a very minority area. This was Charlestown, Nass, where you got like all these robberies and shootings and stuff. And in that, those junky areas, anything can happen. Yeah. And so we had to call family to get us out of there. We had to call the, the police. We got the pastor from our, the church we were a part of to get us, come and get us and get our stuff because it was starting to rain. Yeah. And then he let us be in this in the uh, part the church prophet's chamber for the night. Yeah. That was nice. I had a big nightmare after all that. We had to get a hotel the night before, a really yeah. expensive hotel, just so we could breathe. They were almost going to put us in a shelter. I'm like, no way. And then next thing you know, it was hard for me to, for me to leave because I had finally found a, a good church who was very... Heartland Florida Baptist College uh, Associations, and uh, it was sad, but we had to we had to leave. But the blessing was, I got to be for uh, about a year. We got to be a part of a good church in Phoenix area, a church that's associated with John Vaught. Okay. Now, this pastor recommended John Vaught start a church in Scottsdale. Are you back in Arizona now? Then? No, we are in Maine. We are a okay. part of. A good rural church here in in uh, rural Maine. Hmm. I am a uh, church planning intern up here. Okay, awesome. And uh, it's what's amazing about it is, I I get to work with a guy and he's investing his time in me. He's a Harling graduate, but he is he's a one a wonderful man. He wants to go back to biblical values. Yeah. So he wants to go back to the way it was, the Church of Jerusalem, the Church of Antioch. He's just as tired of the way the IFP is going as I am. He wants to go back to the way the church was before the government took over programs. He wants to help people with, with food, with clothing. He wants to, he wants, he likes church the, the older way than the, say, the IFB thing. So he wants the old paths. <laughs> but. Yeah. For instance, what did the churches do before the government started giving food stamps? They gave food. And then all these government programs came in because the church fell asleep. He believes that parents are responsible for their kids. Like the, the pastor talks to the men and then the men go home and leave their wife. And he, he has been talking about, you know, taking Baptist off our church sign because of what the independent Baptists have, a lot of the independent Baptist churches have associated with the man worship, the sexual abuse, as you have described. So uh, thinking about it as obviously now you're, you're still looking at planning a church and you're doing this work as a church planning intern. It, it really ties in. There's a, the question I ask at the end of almost every single episode is, do you think there's hope for reform of the movement? It sounds like that's something that he's trying to do, but what do you see that needs to change? If you could reach in and change two or three things that you think would right the ship in a lot of ways, what is it that you would want to change? We need to tell men, we need to tell people who go into ministry, we need to start offering more hands-on experience 
Bible colleges, for instance, you're going to populate another ministry and help that ministry with the grunt work that they need. You're getting the last, the bottom of the barrel. And these kids that go to these schools, they're glorifying the leader of the school. And we need to stop this man worship and just go back to the basics and worship God. Living the gospel. I like Kara Schmitz, for example, leading in the gospel. Yeah. Instead of trying to follow what this man said or that man said, just leading the gospel. Let the gospel do the work. And that's how we will reform it. And just, just get used to the fact that if you're a part of a church that doesn't pay you, or if you one day you take over a church that can't pay, hopefully you've been hopefully these colleges will train people for these trades and take away the have a plurality of leadership. These I don't think an elder is a bad thing. I don't think it's I don't think it's biblical in the sense of a separate leader other than pastor and a deacon, but I think it's a, like a for instance. Baptist churches will say, we don't believe in elders, but they'll have heads of ministry. Same thing. Yeah. And technically, an elder is in the Bible in the sense of an older man, somebody older than you. Yeah. Like we used to hear, listen to your elders. They need to start giving them the facts when they ask why. We're not trying to be disrespectful when we ask why. We just want to know. And so I, I believe that churches will get stronger if they're open. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And I think the lack of something we see come up on the show time and time again is the lack of accountability and the lack of the lack of solid reasoning. Like the fact that you can't ask, why are we going this direction? Why are we doing this thing? It's that thing of unquestioned leadership. Clips posted Treber ranting about, don't question your leader. Don't speak out against your leader. In verse 21, the shield of Saul as though he had not been anointed with oil. You touched, you touched God's anointed. That's why in Psalm 105, one, one, uh, verse 15, touch not God's anointed. You're going to have to make a decision how much you're going to be involved in criticism of anointed leadership. You're going to have to, uh, well, yeah, but the leader is out. I, 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 I had the privilege Monday night to preach in my mother and dad's church. I stayed overnight and then came back in the morning. And I'm grateful that I have parents that have never lifted their hand against any man of God. And by the way, they have been going to church for 86 years. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They had one pastor that committed adultery. I never knew about it. And t- I never knew about it. Probably for 45 years, I never knew about it. Never talked about it. But someone came up to me. When I was preaching in another church a few years ago, I said, Mr. So-and-so had to be your pastor because he was the pastor of that church you mentioned. And I said, he was. I said, I never know what happened to him. And they said, well, he committed adultery. Well, I knew he was selling cars, but I didn't know the whole thing. My mother and dad never criticized him. And it's, it seems to fly in the face of Scripture's command that leaders are supposed to be above reproach, that they're supposed to be this style of living this lifestyle where you can't say an ill word about them. But instead of that, we've shifted to this unquestioned loyalty to whoever stands behind the pulpit. And I think that's been very destructive. I, I think if you have a good leader, it can be a positive thing. 
but it's a system that allows a negative leader to really reign completely untethered from reality. Absolutely. I think we've covered quite a bit here as far as how that plays out. And I think you've shown that through your story when you have someone who is beyond questioning or someone who is beyond some kind of discipline because of their position or who their parents are because of what their title is. And I think you nailed it. I think there is within churches in the movement and are there good churches? Yes. I always say that there's always good churches, but I think what we see within the IFB that needs to be fixed is that lack of accountability. I I think independence in the independent movement has been, we're independent when it comes to accountability and to any kind of discipline. And then we're completely dependent when it comes to standing together in whatever topic we want to center our conference around or whatever fundraising project we have or things like that. Then that independence seems to go out the window and they act very much like a denomination in a lot of ways. But yeah, I I appreciate you coming on and and sharing. And I, I know we've been on and off connecting through social prior to this. I had no idea that you knew so many of the people that I know, which is interesting because those names sent back a flood of memories. But but yeah, I, I appreciate you sharing and for offering that perspective. And I, I'm I'm glad that there's people that are planning churches who have this mindset um, and aren't just trying to copy the mold. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for, for coming on the show. And I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.